0: Welcome, everybody. California recently announced a mandatory overnight stay-at-home order for much of the state as part of new draconian COVID nineteen measures. This order, of course, came from the same governor, Governor Gavin Newsom, who attended an opulent and indoor Napa birthday party attended by, curiously enough, California Medical Association officials. Uh, now, thankfully, the sheriffs for Riverside, Los Angeles, and Orange Counties all said compliance with the stay-at-home order would be voluntary. Not mandatory. But what about the churches in California? Most of them still aren't meeting in person, and the ones that are have been faced with all kinds of legal fights. And this is, what is it, about eight months now into the pandemic, when we now know the virus has an average survival rate of 99.98 percent. And when a San Diego judge recently ruled that California strip clubs can't be shuttered anymore because they're engaging in legally protected speech. This brings us to a bigger question that I have been asking for a long time now. Why aren't more pastors in California standing up to this loss of freedom in their state? Why are so many of them refusing to speak up? Well, in response to all of this, my next guest is now speaking out about the sin of silent pastors. And we're going to talk about it with Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster, California, and also Leona Valley. Shane, so great to have you here. How are you doing?
2: Good. We're doing great, Janet. Great to uh, talk with you again, especially on this very important topic as our nation is crumbling from within, literally, and we need that voice of truth.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I want to talk through what is going on in California and then I want to get your take on the silence of so many pastors, which you put out a great video about. You now have a situation where your governor is getting more and more authoritarian as the COVID-19 numbers go up, but it is obvious, based on your state's policies so far, that lockdowns don't work. We know from this new, really rigorous medical study done in Denmark and some other studies, too, that masks basically don't work. What is your reaction to Governor Newsom taking away more of your freedom in California under the guise of protecting you when these kinds of measures have done not much to protect you from this virus?
2: Well and that's just the thing and I think we talked about this last time I was on is we all, you know, pretty much much withdrew when we didn't know what this was. We didn't know what we were up against. Uh, but then once the news starts to come out of all the inconsistencies, and like you said, strip clubs are allowed to be open in San Diego, yeah. uh, the, gov- the governor's at a party of 30 people, no distancing, no masks, and, and I mean, the, the list of inconsistencies is endless. The uh, the death rate, like you said, and I even challenged our own local officials this week on, okay, where are the flu updates or pneumonia? Why Everything is COVID, so... The, the the pulpits have always set the the tone of the nation. Whether you go back to election day sermons in the uh, in the 1800s or uh, the the Reformation, they will go to the pulpit for the truth. And so my concern is that pastors are not looking at what's going on, disseminating what is right and wrong, and then letting the congregation know or letting their those under their care know. Okay, here's the truth. This is the false narrative. And because now. Um, there are so much shenanigans that the churches have to be the ones leading the charge and being open, uh, whether you look at the Constitution, whether you look at uh, how the, um, the governor now is treating, like you said, the draconian is a great word for that because that 's exactly what this is, and I think what happens is he keeps pushing and pushing and see who keeps staying underneath his thumb. Now, of course, saying this with humility and not being proud and boastful and wanting to just be rebellious, but at some point And at some time, the church has to stand up and be the church. And and our silence is speaking volumes.
0: Well, it is. Talk a little bit about where your church is right now, because I know you've been outside. You've been doing some stadium events and so forth, which has been a great way of dealing with the issue of gathering together, not forsaking the assembly of believers. Where do things stand right now with your church and, and your assembling together?
2: Well, we're in Los Angeles County, believe it or not. And we are uh, we've been open now uh, since October 24th uh, that weekend we went back into the facility um, talking with like Jack Hibbs and of course what John MacArthur's doing about an hour away so we're, we're back in the facility we're having church and that's why I put out that video in the article is you're seeing a lot of pastors they're being controlled by either the deacon board or they're not wanting to upset they're not wanting to offend uh, or they're just not they're not being spending time with God. They're not filled with the spirit. They're not bold and, and wanting to be that voice of truth. And so you see, I'm just amazed at all the churches that are staying closed. And the main reason that I'm hearing are because, you know, we need to listen to the governor and because of our uh, liability insurance won't cover it.
0: Oh, okay. And
2: so that, that's the biggies right here in California. But you, I mean, both of those you can dismantle because the governor is actually um, disobeying the constitution.
0: Well, right. But but this is interesting. Yeah, I was going to say the insurance angle is very interesting. So is it the case that these churches are worried that they will run afoul of some kind of insurance problem if people contract COVID-19? And then what are they thinking? People would sue the church over that?
2: Well, yeah, we've heard from insurance companies, they will not cover uh, general liability claims um, uh, on COVID if we're disobeying the government.
0: I so, see, I see. But how
2: how are you going to how is somebody going to prove in a court of law that they caught the virus at the church? Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, that's so right.
2: It's it, it really a fear because how many 1950 years the church didn't worry about liability insurance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I'm trying to project that back on the early church, Shane. It's not really working for me. I don't think the apostles would have cared a fig about their insurance no, policies.
2: Well, here's the here's the thing that cracks me up. Uh, churches are spending sixty thousand dollars to rent a tent outside, and the wow. tent is very you know it's it's um, it's it's not like a, a you think of a camping tent. It's it's heavy duty, and you know it keeps some of the cold out, but how is that okay where now it's damp, there's no circulating air, you've got the same issues with the virus, even some experts say even more so, but so you move the inside outside, as long as the outside is inside, you're okay. I mean, it's just, the inconsistencies are, are, it's it's, it's actually mind boggling. And the mega churches, you know, some of them, um, that's the big thing is they don't want to spread the virus, they want to submit to the government, and they're worried you know, the insurance won't cover them. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. The thing
0: that's so dumb at this point, though, and, and right, you're right, we did discuss this earlier. When this thing first came upon us in March, we all didn't know what we were dealing with, 15 days to slow the spread and all that, We kind of, because everything was a big question mark. Now that we know lockdowns don't work, as I mentioned before, and the masks are basically useless, are there more Christians who are beginning to say, hey, wait a minute, there's all this mounting evidence, not just about those things, but the fact that the strip clubs can stay open and the abortion clinics and the liquor stores and our hypocrisy, you know, the hypocrisy of our governor of, you know, he just keeps apologizing. He'll just go do whatever he wants to do. His own winery is fine. He can go to these fancy dinners and that's fine. At what point do Christians go, we're, we're being had and as the body of Christ, we're all going to stand up collectively?
2: Well, be encouraged in this area. I, I, I see so many people, you know, saying enough is enough. Our church, our church size has doubled. Since COVID, mm. finances finances are out of the roof. People are driving an hour to two hours to the services. We're having Wednesday night worship services. We're having prayer every single morning, every single morning, even on Thanksgiving, six in the morning till eight in the morning, and people are driving. So there's a hunger, there's a desire. We're hearing from people, you know, thank you, pastors, for standing up and and. But people have to understand it's not this rebellious type of attitude, shaking our fists in their our hand our, fa- our fists in their face. It's a like you said, okay, the numbers are off. It's being used as an agenda. Hospitals are making a lot of money. We're not getting right information. Uh, They're using this as a, I I think, a reset to some degree, a global reset economy, the economy being reset something, because even Biden, if he is elected, which I don't think is going to happen, he is going to push that even more and more and try to get our economy to collapse. So people need to realize this is about two different Americas. And now the pulpits, uh, like um, the the famous patriot that gave his life, I only regret that I have one life to give for my country. Well, we should be saying, I only regret that I have one life to give for my Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. The church is staying open. Yes, we're using wisdom. We don't want people to get sick. We don't want to spread it. But we see now that this is being used against us. And that's where you have to have that Acts. I believe it's Acts 2 or Acts 4. Where they said we, whether it's whether we believe the the government, that's up to you. But we're going to believe God, and we're going to move out into the into the power of the Holy Spirit. We're seeing marriages restored and lives changed. It's it's amazing what God is doing.
0: Well, this is all very important. It's why you put out your recent videos, Shane, and I want to get into the details of some of the things that you said in the sin of silent pastors. We're going to come back with Shane Eidelman right after this on at Meford today. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Mabel walks 18 miles to church every Sunday. She lives in Zimbabwe, where churches are widely scattered in remote regions of this African country. That's one reason why she travels so far. The other reason she walks nine miles each way is that the gospel has truly captured her heart. After coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Mabel reads and studies her Bible, and she's discovered that the gospel is meant to be shared with others. So with the help of Bible League international she's learning to share her faith and she's helping to see a church develop closer to her village bibles are desperately needed in africa and around the world right now and you can send one to a bibleist believer today for only five dollars or fifty dollars will send 10 bibles Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800 E S W O 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a non profit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Shane Eidelman is joining us. And we're so glad he is. He is founder and lead pastor of West Side Christian Fellowship in California. And we're talking about some of these issues pertaining to the renewed draconian measures of COVID-19 that are coming down upon the people of California. And I'm still scratching my head after all of this time wondering why more believers don't push back. I, you know, the thing about the hypocrisy, Shane, that really gets to me, it's not just your governor. It's the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi and her hair salon. It's the governor Uh, You know, these other governors and and people like Nancy, not only Nancy Pelosi, but also Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, and she's getting her hair done and she's reveling in the Biden supposed victory for president. All of these leftists who are being very tyrannical about, oh, no, COVID, you must stay locked down. You must stay locked down. They're not locking down. So what do we do with that? And, And how does that really tie in with your issue of the sin of silent pastors?
2: Well, a couple of things on that. I think a lot of people are watching the wrong news source, you know, so they're getting <laughs> yeah. this false narrative. Um, they're, they're, you know, you listen to CNN, you think the world's falling apart and it's all Trump's fault. And so, uh, but my whole thing with the sin of silent pastors is mo- mainly to encourage them and to challenge them, because if you're spending time in God's word, broken, humble, having prayer meetings filled, filled with the spirit, what's going to flow out of you? It's going to be boldness. Yep. It's not going to be, well, I don't know. Let's go live stream for a while. We don't, we want to love our neighbor. We want to, you know, it's just, it's just a bunch of garbage. I wish I had a better term to use there. That's works. But, um, it works. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's reflecting the spiritual condition of our churches. It is. So, so when you,
0: when you talk yeah. about the sin of silent pastors, what would you say that sin is?
2: Exactly. The, the, the sin is the silence, because by, by saying nothing, we speak volumes. Yeah. So when, what does God say about the silent watchman in Ezekiel and the different prophets? The silent watchman, you were to warn the people. You were to be that, that trumpet, that alarm, to sound the alarm and, and wake my people up, but they were silent. And, and that's often goes along with uh, cowardliness, and so we're seeing a lot of, of, of churches that are just, they're, they're cowards. They don't want to they don't wanna go up, up against uh, this mandate. They don't want to um, be, open their churches regardless of what the cost might be. And so we're seeing cowardliness. We're seeing a lot of people wanting to please their board. Uh, worrying and fear and doubt because they're not spending that significant time with God. And, and so that was my whole point. I don't want them to think, oh, here's what we're doing, and we're right, and everyone's wrong. It, I, would be, I would be very cowardly if it was not worth for the work of God's Spirit in my heart, and in my yeah. life. That boldness comes from that, and, and like-minded pastors getting together. So the sin of silent pastors is being silent and not saying nothing when you should be saying something.
0: Yeah. What what do you think is paramount for pastors to be saying if they no longer remain silent, they are staying in the word of God, they are being broken before the Lord. What will that message look like if they get into their pulpits and start speaking? What would you prefer that they say? And what do you think they ought to say?
2: Well, they also, I think should have a pretty good grip on what's really going on. You know, that takes a little bit of, of homework. Um, you know not like i said earlier you don't just get it from cnn right you know you 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 go to trusted news sources and you look at what's really going on like you said the death rate the statistics the flu and 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 also what the government is trying to do by silencing the church. So that's that. Word, that's, to answer your question, that would be from the pulpit. You know, you're going through God's word, and you talk about boldness. You talk about um, we've got to be the church. We've got to come together. We've got to pray for the sick. We've got to uh, minister to those whose marriages are falling apart. And look at the alcohol uh, alcoholism that skyrocketed, and the depression, suicide, and we've got to be that voice and, and come together for that. And live stream is just not going to cut anymore.
0: No, it's not. And you look at some of the numbers of attendees and how attendance has really fallen off when people are going to an online only scenario. Not to mention, which I mean, again, we're back to the hypocrisy angle, because if the strip clubs and the abortion clinics can do it and Walmart can be open and you have all of these other businesses and Newsom can frolic at a party in Napa, why in the world should the church stay closed? That It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and you know, something else when we were talking about the issue of tyranny, you had mentioned Acts for example, and the bravery, the courage and the boldness of the early church and how silly it would have been if they had been in our times for them to sit around and go, eh, OK, we just won't assemble for a year. No problem. You know, I can't see that happening. But we are a nation that was founded, uniquely founded on this stance against tyranny. That is a very American thing. All you need to do is go back and read the Declaration of Independence and you can see and remind yourself of what we were as a nation. And we would never have had an American Revolution had it not been for brave Christian pastors. They were called the Black Robed Regiment and they were the ones who would preach and they would talk about standing up against tyranny and then they would put on their (laughs) uniforms and go out and fight the British. What happened to that spirit, Shane? Why aren't we more like that as Christians today?
2: well i I, again just from my perspective um and i should probably clarify too that it's not just an american thing it's a biblical thing sure because the government is to be a tear to those who do evil but if a person does good there to be a protector there to be a protector of the church so now they're an enemy at the church yeah And, and god's word is clear on that um but at the founding of America. You know, it was a pulpit setting the tone for the nation. And I just don't think a lot of people, again, false narratives, they're not reading the early American history, the pilgrims and the Puritans coming over the Constitution. Uh, The founders referenced the Bible four times more than any source when they put together the Constitution. They had days of prayer and proclamation. And Benjamin Franklin noted, he wasn't even a a Christian, that if a sparrow cannot fall to to the ground without God's notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Mm. and so there's a constant aid and reliance on God and the, the main thing is we want god 's word to be honored how are we going to fight the sexual perversion the sex trafficking the abortion industry the agenda the LGBT how are we going to do that if we don't if we 're not the church and we 're not preaching from the pulpits and, and being bold in these areas very loving but very bold so I think a lot of people don 't have accurate a view of American history. That's why you have a lot of these uh, millennial pastors apologizing for being white uh-huh. and forgetting about all the founders who abhorred the practice of slavery that was brought in by Great Britain. They forget about yeah. William Wilberforce and the movements. They forget that the Republican Party was actually a party uh, to help free slaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just so they they don't have an accurate view of, of American history. So they're getting their narratives and they're and they're preaching Uh, their sermon points from CNN and things like that. So they're very misled and deceived.
0: It's very hard. And, you know, you think about it at a time when you have all of these people who are still not back to normal life. And you have, as you mentioned before, this great reset, which we've talked about on the show before, this, um, you know, endeavor, this initiative of the World Economic Forum to, you know, trade in capitalism for technocracy. And that's the direction that a lot of these leaders want us to go. It's going to get ugly for the church, Shane. I mean, if we can't stand up now, how are we going to stand up in five, 10 years if the agenda that these leftists and globalists want to implement actually comes to pass? You have not just as a small example, when you talk about the LGBT agenda, Joe Biden and the Democrats are all on board with the Equality Act. And when the Equality Act passes, God forbid. That is going to be effectively a criminalization of Christianity. And I don't even see most Christians realizing this is coming down the pike. And, and you think of how the devil would use this kind of thing. Shut the church down. Keep the church silent. Keep those people from getting together. Keep those people from being strengthened according to the word of God. It's a perfect plan in many ways, but not for us, for the enemy to be able to advance his agenda. What are your thoughts on all of that?
2: Oh boy, that would take a lot to unpack. But my, the bullet points are that um, if you're right, if the, if, and I said this in August, and I told pastors, I wrote articles, uh, the stream, Christian Post, Christian Headlines, Charisma News, and telling them if you don't open now, you're not going to open when cold and flu season gets here.
1: Yeah, right. There's going
2: to be another narrative, another push. And so it, it's been, you know, many of us knew this was coming. And these pastors and these churches, I believe, are going to fade away. And God is raising up that remnant church, that remnant voice. They're all over. There's a lot in California. I don't want people to give up hope Or Texas and, and Nashville. And, you know, I talked to a lot of pastors who are who are on fire for God. And we're going to have to be that voice of truth. And remember, I think it was Alex de Tocqueville. At least it's credited to him that he traveled you know, all over America to find out why is she so well-known? Why is she so great? And he said, it wasn't until I went to the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflamed <laughs> with righteousness. Then I understood why America is great. She's great because she is good. That's right. And so getting that, that, God, God uses the pulpit. God uses the church to be that voice of conscience to the nation. So the more that's fading away, the more you know, truth is fading away. But to answer about the Equality Act, yeah, that will shut Bible-believing churches down because you can't talk about any of the controversial issues. And that's what gets me really worked up is people are concerned about President Trump's tweets, <laughs> but not the direction of our nation. It's, yeah. it's, it's mind boggling. It,
0: it is, which is why I'm so supportive of the message you're trying to get out, Shane. It's so important. Can you speak to what I believe is really a fundamental issue in addition to something you've mentioned, which is pastors uh, being real believers in inerrancy, inerrancy of Scripture, but the fear of man versus the fear of God? How does that play into all of this?
2: Oh, boy, that's a good—because, you know what, that's actually a point I did miss. A lot of these churches that aren't opening are what we would consider liberal in their theology or the inerrancy of Scripture. There's there's not a high view of God's Word. Mm -hmm. I mean, they use it when it supports their cause, but when it doesn't support their cause, they kind of, you know, throw it to the side. And so— when you don't have a high view of inerrancy it's like you know paul might have been confused and here's what i think and and the spirit of god's doing a new thing and and love is our biggest mandate and some of these scriptures are, are old it's for the culture of that day it really doesn't apply now you lose all the power because the power of god's word is in the application of all of it you can't cherry pick just certain things it's it's when a pastor throughout America, they need to surrender their lives and say, I believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. Holy Spirit, would you guide me and direct me? And then from that reservoir of truth and the boldness of the Spirit, they will preach the totality of God's Word. So inerrancy is absolutely essential. I believe it's falls back on that. They're not, they're not, uh, many pastors are not looking at God's word in that way.
0: You're right, Shane. It's just all so important for us. And we need to pray for these pulpits. com. Shane, thanks so much for being here. Always great to talk to you.
2: Hey, we love your program out here in California. Lo- a lot of people listening. So keep it up.
0: Awesome. We love you guys too. Thanks so much for your support, Shane. We'll talk next time. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today after this.
1: This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: Well, as we head into the Christmas season, you may be paying more attention to the ads that you see on TV during some of your favorite shows, but which companies are doing the best job advertising on clean family shows, and which ones are doing the worst job advertising on shows that advocate inappropriate sexual or violent content? As always, the Parents Television Council is keeping track of who is advertising where, so you You Can Protect Your Family. And in honor of its own 25th anniversary, the group is now out with a list of the best and worst TV advertisers over the past 25 years. So we're going to talk about it now with Tim Winter, president of the Parents Television Council. Tim, so great to have you here again. How are you?
1: I'm well, Janet. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And it's a pleasure to be on the horn with you.
0: Oh, always good to talk to you, too. First of all, congratulations on your 25th year. You guys have done a lot of good work over the years, and that is quite an achievement.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's a it's a labor of love, and and heaven help us if if we weren't here, uh, what things would have looked like. We know things aren't what they, we would like them to be in the media, but if we weren't here, heaven forbid.
0: Oh, I agree with you completely. And that's why I'm always glad to talk to you. So let's talk about this 25 year advertiser list. You have a list of various advertisers on the worst column and the best column. Let's start with the worst because I like to end with the good news. But when we're talking about the worst at the top of the list, you have Target. What makes Target the worst advertiser over the past 25 years? What are they doing in particular as far as where they're placing their ads?
1: Well, they have um, a complete tone deafness to the concerns of parents and families when it comes to how they spend their, uh, their uh, advertising dollars. Um, they have routinely sponsored the most sexually explicit uh, stuff on primetime and on uh, broadcast and cable, um, profane, uh, sexually explicit. And we have showed up at their shareholder meetings a number of times as shareholders to call on them in front of their board of directors, in front of their shareholders, to improve their, their, their media buying practices. And they just steadfastly refused to do so. <laughs> and when you have such a, a large advertiser as Target, you'd think that uh, they would want to support families, their, one of their prime markets, Uh, with better media buying decisions. So they have, not only do they have uh, poor, poor habits, but they steadfastly refuse any consideration when we talk to them directly.
0: Well, that's interesting. Do they give you any reasons for that? Have they explained why they want to continue on the present course?
1: They do not. Um, and it's, it's um, you know, it's unlike most other corporations when we go and we speak before a shareholder meeting where the CEO understands how important it is for them to, to be a trusted brand for moms who are shopping, mm-hmm. a trusted brand for families. Uh, it, you know, it's a head scratcher for us because most other corporations, even the ones that have appeared on our worst list in the past, realize that, you know what, there's something that they're, that the PTC saying here that is correct and we should reevaluate and reconsider. Yeah. Target refuses to do so.
0: That is a real tragedy. Do you know how much they're spending per year or over the course of the past 25 years to do TV sure. advertising?
1: I, I don't have that that uh, data point in front of me. I'm sorry, I can get it for you. Oh no worries. But, uh, what we what we do know is that they are one of the largest advertisers in corporate America because mm-hmm. you know they're, they're targets everywhere and uh, and they're competing fiercely with uh, some of their competitors. One of which we'll talk about in a minute.
0: That's right. Well, actually, let's go there since that makes a lot of sense. The number one best advertiser you've listed is Walmart. And this is interesting because Walmart and Target, as I'm sure you would concur, are basically you know, big, big box stores. They're reaching families. They offer similar products. Why the disparity, do you think, between the way Walmart chooses to advertise on TV and the way Target does?
1: This comes down to a corporate commitment. And I have met and spoken with executives at both companies. Uh, and I can tell you, when I, whenever I speak with somebody at Walmart, they, uh, as a matter of critical importance, want to be the most trusted brands for moms mm-hmm. for who go out there shopping, and uh, they everything they do it's not just it's not just lip service; it's their actions support their words that they want to be a trusted brand for moms, and so here's a corporation that from from the top to the bottom really embraces. Uh, a a pro-family
0: message. Yeah, well, that is a big difference. So going back to the worst column, you have other companies listed here. You have Yum! Brands, for example, that would incorporate Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell. You've got Unilever, which is the parent company of brands like Hellman's, Mayonnaise, and Dove, and Knorr. Uh, What about some of these others on the list? Not as bad as Target, but similar kinds of advertising choices?
1: Correct. When you go up and down the list, um, not, sometimes you see a company on our worst list and they do—they will sponsor good programming. The problem is that they also sponsor a lot of the really negative programming and they refuse to uh, to try to shift those dollars away from the negative towards the positive. Um, companies like Toyota's is number five on our worst list this year. Or it's not this year, but this is a 25-year look back. Um, and actually, should point out, All of these companies, this isn't just a one-off. This is a 25-year pattern, a commitment, a corporate uh, fiber, a corporate culture over over decades that what we're trying to connect the dots here. And when we have, you know, even like a Toyota, uh, a Sprint T-Mobile on our worst list, these are companies that every once in a while they'll make really good decisions. But over the 25 year period, they can't seem to get out of their own way when it comes to making good decisions all the time.
0: Wow, that's a shame. And you've got Kohl's on the list. I think you and I have discussed Kohl's and its ad buys before, but over 25 years, that one still makes me scratch my head a bit because that seems like a very family friendly store in a lot of ways, trying to reach the same sort of demographic. What's up with them?
1: We're we're scratching our heads at the same time you are, Janet, uh, on this one. You, you'd think that Coles would be very very supportive of uh, you know of, of family family programming. Um, unfortunately, they too have just routinely ignored our concerns when it comes to some of the negative programming that they sponsor. <laughs> yes, they sponsor some good shows, but they also sponsor a lot of the bad shows, and they refuse to budge when we reach out and point out to them, Hey, do you want to be associated with this type of explicit content? They, um, they just uh, routinely ignore any concerns.
0: That's a shame. Can you give us some specifics on some of the worst shows on which some of these companies are advertising?
1: Well, we're talking about 25 years here, so a lot of the shows no longer are on the air, and maybe some of our listeners would would not even recognize some of them. But uh, going back to, like, The Family Guy, yep. uh, The Cartoon Family Guy, which is, you know, very explicit, um, that it's marketed to, to children, uh, shows like The Mick which was um, a show that inc- encouraged children, showed children engaged in, uh, in, in the profanity, in the disres- disrespect for authority, in uh, sexualization of children and, and its themes. Um, some of the more violent programming over the last several years. Some of the shows that, um, that you know, were, were cops dramas, but that really had excessive bloody violence. Um, shows that um, on cable that were, were very, um, you know, sexually laden, profane, and, and violent. So it's, it's really a broad swath over 25 years where most of these shows are not even on the air anymore, but some of them are, some of them are. Um, and, you know, it, it really comes down to the PTC would count every instance of sex violence and profanity on these shows and to see which corporations were sponsoring them, routinely the shows that were the worst, that, that uh, the worst programs these advertisers on the worst list were, were almost always on that list.
0: That's crazy. And it's good for parents to know about this so you know who to target and who to talk to and say, listen, we don't appreciate what you're doing and sponsoring some of these terrible shows in many cases. And on the best column, we have companies in addition to Walmart like Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, General Mills, Ford, Smuckers, and TJ Maxx. Now, that's kind of interesting because you've put them at seven and you've put Kohl's at seven on the worst list. It's very interesting to me how you have stores that are very, very similar but making really different advertising choices.
1: I think it's important for, for parents who are concerned about how these corporations are, are spending their ad advertising dollars, what they are sponsoring with their dollars. Um, if you can say, well, I have to go to a, to a big box retailer, Well, you have a juxtaposition of Walmart and Target, the best and the worst, number one on both lists. Walmart best, Target worst. Same thing when we get to uh, TJ Maxx and Marshalls and HomeGoods on TGX and Kohl's. Uh, Same thing if if you're hungry and you want to go out and you want to grab a quick burger, we would encourage you to go to Wendy's. Wendy's on our best list, Burger King on our worst list. Um, you know There there are good choices, bad choices when it comes to um, supporting this criteria specifically. And we hope that uh, parents and families are, are are aware of this and are factoring it into their, their purchasing decisions.
0: Well, I think it's really important because we are making a lot of decisions. As I said, heading into the Christmas season, you have choices out there and you need to check them out. You can go to parentstv.org and find out more about this list of the best and worst TV advertisers over the last 25 years. Tim Winter with us. Always good to talk to you, Tim. Thanks so much for being with us again.
1: Thanksgiving blessings to you.
0: You too. Thanks again for being here. We'll be right back. Open enrollment is here and choosing a healthcare program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a non-profit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org JMT. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis who are choosing between life and death for their preborn babies. Meet Sophie. At 22 weeks pregnant, Sophie was pressured by her mother and boyfriend to terminate her pregnancy. After meeting with a preborn counselor, she found the love and support she needed. After I had that soldier ultrasound and I saw her and I was looking at the pictures over and over and over again, that's when I decided I was going to stand up to my mother and tell her, no, I can't do an abortion. Sophie chose life and now she's awaiting the birth of her baby girl. Every day, Preborn is on the front lines fighting Planned Parenthood to help young moms just like Sophie to choose life. For a gift of $140 today, you can help to rescue five babies' lives. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at Janetmefford.com.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. You might recall back in March, I did an entire show, actually, a couple of different shows on that interfaith dialogue that took place between JD Greer the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and an Islamist Omar Suleiman and we did all, I did a whole show and played clips from that and then we did another show with Dr. Andrew Bostom the Islamic expert talking about Suleiman and all of the problems with Christians opening the doors in either naivete or just stupidity and saying we're all going to come together and just dialogue and isn't this wonderful and while I do think it's important for us to talk to people who aren't Christians I think I think that by and large, the reason we want to do that is we want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to reach out to them in the name of Jesus so we can bring them to Jesus by the grace of God. That's the main goal that we should have in addition to just being nice people and kind and loving to people who are not like us. I'm fine with that. I'm not okay with interfaith dialogue because it's not biblical. There is no call in the New Testament or the Old Testament to gather together with people who don't know the Lord and just pretend like it's okay because we're united on religious freedom points and that's all the further we need to go with it. I don't Agree with it. I don't think that that's showing love for our neighbor ultimately, which is ironically the phrase that the SBC honchos like to throw around, JD Greer being one of them. So let's talk about another SBC honcho. I think this is quite significant. Story in Christianity Today Muslims join Evangelical Theology Conference. It says it's not often that a Muslim appears at an evangelical theological gathering. Al Moeller invited three. The Trimmed Down 72nd Annual Conference of the Evangelical Theological Society, which was held virtually, usually welcomes up to 2,000 top scholars. This year's theme, Islam and Christianity. They have a quote here from Al Mohler, who is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and also served as ETS program chair, saying, We are called to truth and to understanding the world around us more accurately and thoughtfully. That certainly includes our understanding of Islam, which has from the beginning represented An enormous challenge to Christian evangelism, apologetics, theology, and cultural engagement. So who is invited to this austere gathering of the Evangelical Theological Society, which, by the way, Wikipedia describes in its history as established in 1949 in response to a, quote, keenly perceived need for interaction and wider dissemination of conservative research on biblical and theological issues. That's the Evangelical Theological Society. What I find kind of interesting is when you go to the actual ETS website, it doesn't have conservative in it's about the ETS uh, description of the organization. So take that for what it's worth. Who did they invite though to be part of this Austere group of the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, it, the moderator of this particular panel on Islam and Evangelical Christianity: Understanding Our Neighbor, Muslims and Evangelicals in Conversation. The panelists include Hamza Yusuf, Asma Uddin, and Muhammad. Majid. Now, you might not know those names. You, you might know the name Daryl Bach. He's from the Dallas Theological Seminary and also John Hartley from Yale and C. Donald Smedley from the Rivendell Institute at Yale. They were the panelists here. Uh, and you might say, DTS, what in the world? Yeah, that's another show altogether. Hamza Yusuf, Asma Udin, and Muhammad Majid. Who are these people? Well, let, me, let me fill you in a little bit on who these people are. Asma Udeen is somebody uh, who actually came up just recently because she was at National Religious Broadcasters panel and Frank Gaffney from the Center for Security Studies had a real problem with this. They were doing a a panel there at, at NRB and his quote when he was talking about this, Frank Gaffney, he said of her, she's a Sharia supremacist. I hope that you will not be misled into believing that this individual and what she stands for, and most importantly, what she's doing with organizations like the Council on American Islamic Relations, one of the most aggressive Muslim Brotherhood front organizations in the country, must not be endorsed, even if it's implicitly by this organization, meaning NRB. I had hoped that she would not be given a platform. She is. I trust you will listen attentively, and I hope Hope that you will not yourself give her a platform. So, Frank Gaffney, a guy who deals with the issues of Islamists and Sharia supremacism all the time and has done fantastic work exposing the Muslim Brotherhood, raised some very strong concerns about normalizing somebody like this to Christians and say, oh, no problem here. And in addition to that, Andrew Boston had written a very long article on Asma Udin. and the headline here at Jihad Watch was Asma Udin abets hateful Sharia supremacism in America. This is just a little portion of it. Grotesquely consistent with a diatribe that she did, he said, against Frank Gaffney for denouncing Muslims who seek to actively impose or enable Sharia totalitarianism in America. Her book includes a rhetorical acid attack on the courageous Somali Muslim conscientious objector to Islam Ayan Hirsi Ali. She dismisses, meaning Udin does, she dismisses Ayan's firsthand accounts of actual Sharia-based practices and mores as stories of genital mutilation, child marriage, and honor killings purportedly justified on the basis of Islam. Also talks about her ties to care and says, Asma Udin is most assuredly not the defender of religious liberty she claims to be, her vicious counterfactual attacks on intrepid opponents of Sharia supremacism and canonical Islamic religious bigotry conjoined to Udine's disingenuous Sharia apologetics, failure to repudiate overtly Sharia supremacist AMJA, which is a judicial group, a lawyer's group, and open support for Omar Suleiman. Oh, wait a minute. That's the guy who did the uh, neighborly faith interfaith dialogue in March with J.D. Greer. They make plain she's a cynical, willing, uh, witting, I should say, a better of hateful, liberty-crushing, Sharia totalitarianism. So that was one of Al Mohler's. Picks. You have Hasma Youssef, who is the founder of Zaituna College. You can look that up at the Clarion Project. Uh, at one point, he did apologize for this, but at one point, Youssef called Judaism a most racist religion, endorsed a letter back in 2014 opposing the Islamic State terrorist group's tactics, but endorsed Sharia governance's brutal Hudud. Punishments, the recreation of a caliphate, and the Islamist doctrine of gradualism. So you can look up that. There's lots online about this. I'm not going to get into all of this. And then, of course, we come to Muhammad Majid, who was the former president of the Islamic Society of North America, uh, founded by Muslim Brotherhood members. And there's all kinds of problematic issues there with that particular individual. So you can look up that. uh, uh, But but I do want to throw in this one thing, because to me, this is one of the big ones. This is from 2013 over at the Investigative Project on Terrorism. I remember covering this story at the time it came out. And it says an Egyptian magazine has claimed that six American Islamist activists who work with the Obama administration are Muslim Brotherhood operatives who enjoy strong influence over U.S. policy, one of which was Imam Muhammad Majid, president of the Islamic Society of North America. Uh, At the time, he had headed up ISNA, founded by Brotherhood members. He was appointed by Obama in 2011 as an advisor to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, By the way, he is uh, said by the Discover the Network's website run by Front Page Magazine and David Horowitz, uh, who runs Jihad Watch, uh, to have been very key in making sure that the countering violent extremism curriculum that was put out by the Department of Homeland Security took out any references of terrorism being linked to Islam. Okay. These are Al Mohler's picks to click at the Evangelical Theological Society. Absolutely incredible. And you read through this Christianity Today story and the whole thing is like, oh, Christians are terrible. Same thing happened with Greer, by the way. Oh, Christians are just so, so wrong and they're so fearful and they just, they support Trump, the strong man. That was the thing with the Greer interfaith dialogue. It says here it was the challenge of cultural engagement that led ETS to reach out to the Muslim panelists. And it was called Understanding Our Neighbor. John Hartley from Yale said, we don't resist the idea we must love Muslims, but we hesitate and keep saying, silent because the politics is so messy. This leaves the field open for those who spread hate. Asma Udin, who I described to you before, described the well-funded Islamophobia network that tars Muslims and the political left in a joint conspiracy to take over the world. She cited Pew Research Center statistics finding white evangelicals to be twice as likely as Americans overall to support President Trump's Muslim ban. It wasn't a Muslim ban. It was a national security ban from terrorist-linked countries. There were plenty of Muslim countries that still were allowed to send people over to the United States. But this is an absolutely incredible story. And Neighborly Faith, this group that I've told you about that launched last year and is all about more interfaith dialogues and evangelicalism, uh, it was involved in this. Uh, It's just astounding to me. And this man, Al Mohler, wants to be the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I guess it's becoming a thing now. If you are the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, you got to be all in and hang out with Islamists and Sharia supremacists and try to tell Christians how hateful and fearful they are and denigrate any sort of actually informed criticism of previous situations that have occurred in post 9-11 worlds. You're hateful, but I'm not hateful. But I like truth and I don't like seeing evangelicals used as useful idiots to try to divide and conquer the church, which is exactly what's going on. And if you know anything about the purveyors of interfaith dialogue in the Muslim community, the best known ones, that's exactly what they're trying to do and turn us against Israel. This is shameful, absolutely shameful, and Mueller should be called on the carpet for it by Southern Baptists. Got to leave it there. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. God bless you. We'll see you next time.